Well, good morning, church. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning. We are starting week two of our series called Joy Comes in the Morning. It is a study of Philippians and Graham started us off last week and just gave um, the most prophetic message and it was uh, very moving. Everyone who I've spoken to this week kind of felt that same uh, gut punch feeling about it. So thank you so much to Graham for it. Um, And uh, I am so excited for what this series is going to bring for our church and bring for the greater church in our community uh, for this time where it feels like joy isn't really in our vocab or really on our um, on the forefront of our mind. So this is an exciting time for the church to set to step up and be more countercultural and be um, that true light of the world. So uh, I really am believing over all of us that this is a timely message. This is a timely series for us um, and kind of just exploring that deeper meaning of joy and what biblical joy and Christian joy really means. And I think it's Uh, important from the outset not to confuse it with happiness Um, you know happiness is kind of dependent on the circumstances and situations in which we find ourselves but uh, we can think of joy more as like the flourishing roots of a tree you know they bring nourishment and they bring life and health beneath the surface and then happiness is more like the crop that's exposed to the air and the conditions around it so you know sometimes on the surface we'll find an abundance of the crop but it's the roots that bring nourishment and it brings longevity and health to the surface and never the other way around so you know while this happiness can come and go and while we can, might feel like we're constantly seeking it Uh, If we keep planted deep in joy and deep in Christ and we stay well watered, it's there that we can endure the seasons uh, and prosper despite the conditions around us. So that's what I'm really believing for all of us through this series. Um, And it's that idea that I want to kind of expand upon as we open up the text back to um, the first chapter of Philippians. We are at chapter one and I'm going to be reading from the message version. So we're at chapter one, verse 12. And uh, this is from when Paul is writing to the Philippians uh, and he's addressing their concern for his well-being because he is in um, Roman captivity. Uh, And he says to them, he says, I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has been the opposite of it of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, The message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I'm in jail because of this Messiah. That piqued their their curiosity and now they've learned all about him. And not only that, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever before, speaking out fearlessly about God and about the Messiah. And it's true that some some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think that they'll step right into the spotlight. But others do it with the best heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message and wanting to help. And the others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. So the worst, so the worse it goes for me, the better they think for them. And so how am I to respond? I've decided that I don't really care about their motives, whether mixed, bad, or indifferent. Every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. And so I just cheer them on. And I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out. Through your faithful prayers and generous response to the spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. 
I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or die. They didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger and dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. And I feel like reading that is um, so countercultural and so against what we would ever imagine hearing from someone in jail. And I think that that is a really powerful example of true Christian joy. And Tim Keller has a quote that says, There is joy available that the deepest grief cannot put out. No circumstance or person can take away the joy that God gives. And I love that. I think there's such power in seeing Paul rejoicing, Paul being content with his circumstances and seeing goodness in the situation, despite what it looks like from the outset. And we learn here that this unstoppable joy that transcends understanding and goes beyond our circumstances is truly an inside job. Just like the roots of the crop, our joy as Christians must come from and exist within us. Um, and you might wonder why joy is important to Christians or uh, important in the Bible at all, but you might have heard it at the start of a Christmas message, but the angels announced before Jesus was born. In Luke chapter 2, they said, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And this uh, scripture kind of sets the scene for life once Christ is born, that you know, joy may be around us and we may experience joy in our life, but Christ himself is joy. And so it's that kind of idea that's planted within us and goes beyond our understanding. And uh, if I am honest with everyone, which feels like a weird moment of vulnerability speaking to a camera I, and two of my friends, um, but when I first found out that we were doing a series on joy, I felt like everyone, oh, this is such a great time for the message, like for the whole church and everyone to hear. But once the kind of realization set in that I would be teaching of joy, I was heartbroken because uh, I have would never have said that for the past few weeks or probably months or maybe even year. I haven't felt that joy uh, all the way down in my heart. And those who are close to me, I have not been um, quiet about that. And it has just been a bit of like a journey for the last year, right? And I don't want to put any labels on it, but I will just call it kind of like a year of like anti-joy and feeling like I was just um, trudging through and striving and all of these kinds of things. But um, unlike Paul, my circumstances have been pretty good. Things have been going well for us. I have been physically well. Uh, you know, we live in this safe nation. We have been incredibly blessed in those kinds of ways. But internally, I just couldn't feel that joy that surpasses um, circumstance and transcends into everything I do. And it felt like it was kind of like that um, happiness that we talked about earlier, where it would be fleeting and it would be seasonal and it would just come and go in waves. And there wasn't any part of me that was feeling this unstoppable joy. And so when I was allocated this teaching, um, the title Unstoppable Joy, I was kind of challenged to the point that I wanted to tell Pam that I didn't want to teach, <laughs> that I cried all the time to Jack. And finally, which should have been my first option, I was put to a place of surrender and total submission to God. And I said, if you need me to teach on unstoppable joy, you need to teach me first. And so, um, you know, I wish that I could be teaching from 
a certain level of spiritual maturity. But the truth is that I have only been a Christian for six years and it is my great honor and privilege to be able to teach what I believe that God reveals to me uh, as I'm kind of journeying through it. So um, my prayer for everyone and has been throughout this week that um, you would be able to you would be able to experience and feel the same deep restoration as God has given me that has been nothing short of a miracle in my own life. Uh, that you would be able to feel that you would be able to have joy restored and that regardless of the circumstances you're up against, whether they're good, fair or terrible, that you would be able to sense the joy that we see Paul living out here and you would be able to take the truths of God's word and be able to take them, uh, water them and grow fruit from them through every season of your life. Uh, so before we kind of unpack it, I would love to just pray. So Lord, we just um, thank you so much that you're constantly restoring us. You're constantly transforming us and your promises are set out uh, to be great joy for all of us, Lord. So I pray that as we learn today and as we continue unpacking this series, Lord, you would use your joy to um, heal each one of us from the inside out, God, and that we would be um, learning more of you and having more of you in us uh, and less of ourselves, Lord. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. So in John chapter two, we find a story called the cleansing of the temple. Uh, This was uh, during Jesus' ministry. And from verse 13, it says it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. So Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers coins over the floor and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And a hectic story. But what we're seeing here is Jesus is entering the courts of his father that he knows should be filled with prayers and worshipers and believers. You know, you should be able to walk into a space like that and just kind of like feel the holiness in the air. That there should be spiritual stillness amongst the believers and a reverence of people coming to approach and seek their father. Um, But instead, you can imagine the contrast when Jesus walks in and instead there's this hustle of merchandisers and markets and the smell of animals and the noise of animals. Um, There would just be unordered chaos. I kind of imagine like a mixture of the markets on the weekend and like the Newcastle show kind of thing. And, you know, so Jesus walks in where it should be just like holy and tranquil and instead sees this corruption and this chaos happening and he casts them out in a way that uh, we don't see Jesus moving in too often through his ministry. Um, And you might read this story and think, well, why is this relevant and how will this help me to find unstoppable joy? But in 1 Corinthians, the scriptures say, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit will dwell within you or dwell within your midst? And this, this story is pointing us to a lesson for our own heart. You know, we can so easily just think that we invite Jesus into our lives and expected to live within our ordered chaos. And it just doesn't work. We expect to be able to just slot joy of the Lord in with uh, 
everything else in our life, you know, our goals and our ambitions and our current obsessions and our current pursuit of happiness. And for us just to think that we can slot uh, the savior of the world in, uh, it just isn't conducive to how we're made as the temple of God. And this is a lesson for us to learn about the sovereignty of Jesus in our own life. Um, You know, when we kind of um, expect God to come in and interfere in our lives, but still just leave everything to the side, then we wonder why we can't sit in stillness and why we can't find joy despite our circumstances and why we can't hear the voice of God when we're doing all the right things. But the truth is amongst the chaos and amongst the disorder and amongst the noise, we barely even notice that Jesus has entered our lives. Uh, Andreas Kostenberg says that Jesus's agenda when he was clearing the temple was not a mere reform, but it was nothing less than a revolution. And for some of us, I dare say even most of us, we don't need a reform of our heart or a reform of the joy, but we need an entire revolution. So we read on in this story, and this is where some of us might find ourselves here. A few verses down, once Jesus had kind of cleared out the traitors and cleansed the temple, the Jews, who were not very pleased about this, said to Jesus in verse 18, what sign can you show us to prove that you have authority to do all of this? And Jesus answered them in verse 19. He said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it again in three days. But the temple he had spoken about was of his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. And I know for me, when allocated this task and when confronting the absence of joy, I felt like saying to the Lord, I have felt like this not only for a few weeks or for a few months, but for over a year. And you expect me just to be changed like that. And I wonder how many of us have uh, thought that or are still feeling like that, that I have had this carrying with me for 46 years, or I have been sick like this for 10 years. How do you expect me just to feel joy amongst my circumstances? But we saw that the whole world changed when the temple of Jesus was risen and risen for all on the other side of the cross. You remember that the angel said that I have good news that will bring great joy for all. Um, And then so if letting Jesus, who we know is great joy himself into our hearts, is the key to unstoppable joy, then how do we keep on top of this? Because we all know that Christians are not by any means immune from bad circumstances or negative test results or bad days or mental health issues. Um, But we still need to press in to find joy amidst our circumstances, despite our circumstances and not because of them. Um, So maybe because I'm a practical applicator, um, at our cafe, we kind of had this weekly upkeep, upkeep schedule, right? And so some of the things that we keep on the list need to get done daily, Uh, just pretty much like to keep the cafe running and to keep stock levels in check and things like that. And then other things like a weekly and slightly more obscure uh, to make sure that the cafe is kept to an acceptable standard, right? And so things get cleaned and things get filled and taken out and cleaned and whatever. Any person who's ever worked at Macca's is like, knows what I'm talking about. But if we don't have this list in the shop to cross off every day, the jobs just don't get done. And that's not because 
we're lazy or complacent or resent the list, but it's just because when we don't have that kind of uh, set of goals out as our priority, instantly other jobs just seem more important and we find ourselves just kind of always chasing our tail and just doing what needs to be done there and then instead of kind of prioritizing this list that we uh, know need to get done but it just doesn't feel as urgent or easy to prioritize. Um, and just like at the cafe, I really believe that we as Christians, as carriers of the temple of the Holy Spirit, we must be intentional about the upkeep of our own temples so that despite not declaring a state of urgency and maybe joy isn't so much on your radar at the moment, but we can tend to the matters of corruption in our hearts and chaos of the spirit and we can make sure that this place in you and in me remains under sovereign control of the Lord. Um, And so some of these things are daily things. Just like at the cafe that needs to be cleaned and stocked and refilled, we need to be cleaned and stocked and refilled. We need to practice prayer. All day, every day be in prayer, the Bible says. We need to practice gratitude and thanksgiving, having a stock take of what's around you and giving thanks to God for it. We need to partake in fellowship and encouragement amongst believers. And if you don't know how to start that, then there is a chat box just below that you can get in contact with someone and we would love to be praying with you. And then some of the things that God asks us to do can be slightly more sporadic, not sporadic like once a year, sporadic kind of like once a week. And that is like taking communion, attending church, partaking in worship, And it takes this intentional investment in making space for Jesus to clear out the temple of your heart so that you can remain a dwelling place for the Lord himself. And I feel like um, the more we keep it clear and the more we keep on top of this list, the less backlog happens and the more acutely aware we can be of imposters coming in and corruption coming in and those bad thoughts and that anti-joy coming back in to try and take some of the... um, attention off God and the peacefulness off God and that unstoppable joy away from our own life. And so even though the, the world and Pinterest and Instagram and our friends can give us 101 ways to attain joy or seek positive vibes by adding things into our lives and changing them up and we tick certain boxes, the message remains the same. For us Christians, the church, for us as the church, The angels themselves are still telling us, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And joy himself is waiting by the doors of your heart and my heart constantly to clear out all that is is holding you back from experiencing the true joy of Christ. Revelation 3.20 says in the Passion Translation, Behold, I am standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open to hear my voice and you open the door within, I will come into you and feast with you and you will feast with me. And that is the invitation that is constantly available to us, church, that when it all seems too much, when there's too much going on, when we can't even have focus in our own heart and it feels like we're just grasping at any desperate attempt to regain joy in our life, Jesus says, I am joy and I am knocking here waiting to to clear everything out and cast everything out. It's not you who has to do the casting, it's the sovereign Lord Jesus. And so unstoppable joy comes from within once we let joy himself in. And Graham mentioned this Psalm last week and I would love to read it out as I close in prayer for each of us. 
This is the promise for believers who might have gone years on their walk or months on their walk and they remember what it was like when they first walked with Jesus. And um, they remember the, the pure joy and how everything else paled in, in insignificance that though um, you know, after years of walking and collecting more things into our spirit, it, it seems harder, like more of a trudge to walk along. But Psalm 51 verse 12 says, Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And that is the prayer for right now to have joy restored to your salvation. And that is the prayer into the future to have a willing spirit that will sustain you through every season and every circumstance. Would you pray with me, church? Uh, Lord, we are just so thankful for your promises that transcend time and go beyond expectation and far beyond what we deserve, Lord. We just pray over our church today um, as one community and one body of Christ that you would clear out evil and you would let each of us become a dwelling place for you, Lord. We, we claim and declare that you are joy himself and you would, you would sustain a spirit within us, God, that would keep us willing to obey and intentionally keep ourselves set apart for you and you alone, Lord. I pray for things that we have been battling against for years and I just ask that you would just watch and you would just cast it out in your mighty name, Lord. We pray that you have sovereignty over every corruption, every sin, every shortfall, Lord, and that it is only by you and your grace alone that we can be saved, we can be transformed, we can be um, restored, God. We are just believing that joy is a promise that you keep and we are, we are claiming that over our church in a time that feels like joy uh, isn't on the radar for any of us, Lord, where um, prospects are bad, when um, medical reports are bad, when hope is fizzling, Lord. I pray that we would be a people that would have joy and we are marked by your joy, Lord, that goes beyond, beyond anything that we could understand and overflows as fruit into our life. Lord. And we claim all of these things in your mighty name. Amen.